Well, this is the season when symbols can overwhelm us. They make us feel nostalgic. Um, some of the symbols, the secular symbols like Santa and the sleigh and all that stuff can make us feel frantic as we shop and we try to get things done. And sometimes the sacredness of the symbols that we associate with the birth of the Christ child um, can get lost in the shuffle or they can even get misunderstood. Um, I'm, I always smile now that I, I have read more deeply into the birth stories of the Christ child when I realize that all those years, even today, when I set up the little manger scene in my house, there's the Christ child and Mary and Joseph, and there's a couple little lambs with cross eyes, and, and there's a little shepherd over here, and then the three wise men are there. But in real life, the three wise men came later. But we kind of absorb the whole story into a set of symbols that differ a little from what the, Christ, uh, what the Scripture teaches us. And one of the real challenges I had when I started putting up our little major scene was convincing uh, my husband that, no, Bruce, we don't set the major scene up on snow. <sighs> I mean, it just wasn't snowy there. I know it's snowy in your heart, brother, but it wasn't snowy in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. And I could never quite convince him we always had to set the manger scene up on the, on the roll of cotton, which always made me smile. But we sometimes misunderstand the symbols, and so this season of Advent, Pastor Bob and I have been trying to focus our uh, attention, refocus our attention on some of the important symbols and to give us things to think about um, those symbols in a new way. And the, the first week, Pastor Bob talked about angels and reminded us that even though we may not see Michael or Gabriel standing there in front of us in all their glowing glory, that angels still speak to us today, and we can still be angels speaking into the lives of others. And last week when we heard about uh, the manger, the, the little trough of hay that Jesus was laid in after he was born, he reminded us that Mary was really the first manger, her womb was the first manger, and that each of us has the opportunity to have the Christ child held within us and to be, for us to be his manger. And today we're going to continue that theme a little bit later as we talk about Bethlehem and the inn. Now Bethlehem has an important place in biblical history even before the birth story. We think of it as the place where Christ was born, and he was, but Bethlehem was also the town that Ruth and Naomi returned to after uh, Naomi's husband died. It was the place where uh, Ruth was a good and loving daughter-in-law. Uh, she married Boaz. She and Boaz gave birth to a man named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. So as you have heard the Christmas story unfolding, particularly Mary and Joseph's role in it, um, Pastor Bob has emphasized how Joseph being the father of Jesus, the earthly father, fulfilled an ancient scripture. It was really an important scripture for us to remember. But Bethlehem, the word Bethlehem also means city of bread. And how appropriate is it that the one who would come and say, I am the bread of life, traveled on a journey in his mother's womb that was probably not terribly comfortable to be born in the city of bread. 
So let's turn to this morning's scripture. It is from Luke chapter 2. It's verses 1 through 7, and I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version because many of the uh, versions have been updated to leave the in out. They now say there was no guest room available, and I think it's important for us because we still remember the, the old words, there was no room at the inn. So I want to read from a version to you that contains those words, and this is what it says. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And notice, it didn't mention the evil innkeeper anywhere in the scripture. We'll come back to the innkeeper later. So the distance from Bethlehem to Nazareth, or Nazareth to Bethlehem, is about the distance from here to Disney World, roughly. Not that long. We hop in our cars, we ride over there, we have a great time, and we come home on the same day. I have yet to meet a pregnant woman, however, who would want to go from here to Disney World on foot, or even worse, on a donkey, five days or four days from giving birth. I can't imagine it. It had to be an uncomfortable ride or walk. It was over some steep and rocky terrain. There were places where there weren't a lot of sources of water. And so they made this journey, and we might ask ourselves, why make the trip? Well, they made the trip because of the orders, if you will, of two very different rulers. First, there was the earthly ruler, Emperor Augustus, Caesar. He wanted to have his census taken for the purpose of taxation, and it really didn't matter to the Romans whether it was comfortable for a pregnant woman to travel or not, or whether it was convenient for the people who had to travel to their ancestral homes to go there. And yet God took that human requirement, that edict from an earthly king, to fulfill the great prophecy that we read in the book of the prophet Micah. God has a way of doing that, you know. He takes what we do, that sometimes isn't nice, it's kind of messy, and he uses it to fulfill his divine purpose. This is what Micah's prophecy said. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And indeed, as Jesus is preparing to ascend to heaven, he tells his disciples, you will be my witnesses. And he ends that, to, he ends that with, to the ends of the earth. And so this, this order of an earthly king who wasn't really such a great guy, but who was given credit for 
bringing the world to peace, clashed, or actually kind of conspired, didn't really clash, it, con it conspired with the divine edict that had been foretold by a prophet so that the real king, the real prince of peace could be born in Bethlehem. Now we just sang a little town of Bethlehem, we listened to them sing it, and it's got such a, a soft and tranquil sound to it. it. It makes Bethlehem sound like a sleepy little place. But friends, when I think about what Bethlehem must have been like the night that Jesus was born, I can only imagine that it was more Bethlehem than peaceful. There were people coming to town, reuniting with families and, and relatives. There was no room in places of lodging. There were guest rooms were full. There was all kinds of things going on that didn't sound peaceful at all. And that's why I think it's really important for us to remember that sometimes the, the scene that we build around celebrating Christmas differs a little from what it might have been like. Our Christmas imagery is always peaceful, but you know, Christ's birth actually led to a terrible massacre. Because when the wise men, the Magi, didn't obey Herod, and didn't go back and tell him where they had found the Christ child, Herod ordered that all the infant boys in Bethlehem be killed. He was insecure. He was worldly. He was evil. And he didn't want competition from a baby who the Magi who said was to be the king of the Jews. And this is how Matthew records the story. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Bethlehem is more than a sleepy little town. It is a site where dramatic upheaval in the order of things took place one night. It is a place where there was painful struggle, weeping and mourning. But in the end, there was fulfillment of the most divine of promises from God. And then there's the inn. I feel kind of sorry for the innkeeper. We learned last week that Jesus was laid in a manger because there wasn't any room for him. And the innkeeper is never really mentioned, but somehow he's always cast as the villain, as though to say, what was he thinking? He turned away baby Jesus. Like he was really supposed to know that? That's not really fair. But more importantly, if we look at the original text of the Gospels, we'll find that the word that was translated into in was a Greek word named kataluma. Kataluma. Kataluma is found in the New Testament in reference to only one other story. When Jesus sent Peter and John ahead to find a place for him to share the Passover meal with his disciples on the night that he instituted the Last Supper, he sent them to ask the owner of the home if the Cataluma was available. So it's much more likely than an evil innkeeper with the Bethlehem Holiday Inn turning Jesus away 
that Mary and Joseph actually went to home. It might have even been the home of an ancestor. And that one of the reasons they were uh, sent to the stall or the stable where the animals were is A, because it would have provided privacy, and B, because if Mary had given birth inside the home, then the other people who shared the guest room, because whole families shared guest rooms in those days, would have become ceremonially unclean because of the presence of blood from the birth. So as we think about the innkeeper and we decide to... Um, cast him as the bad guy, we might do well to remember another thing. Maybe if there was an innkeeper, maybe the innkeeper's role in all of this was to help the Christ child be born in the humblest of circumstances so that as his life unfolded, as his ministry began, we could always remember the humility the humbleness with which Christ began his life and the humility that he continued to demonstrate up until his very last day. So what are we to learn from all of this? Well, first, Mary and Joseph probably didn't want to go on that journey, but they didn't have a choice, and going on the journey actually fulfilled the divine promise. And we, too, are called to go on journeys that we don't want to take. Some of them involve leaving one place to go to another, maybe for a new job, maybe to take care of a parent, maybe to be with a child who gets in trouble in some way. Maybe it's a spiritual journey where God finally grabs hold of us and our eyes are finally open and we realize that we have to go to a new place in a new way to become the people who God wants us to be. We all have our journeys to Bethlehem. And sometimes they call us through difficult circumstances over rocky terrain in places that feel very dry where we long for the living water. But our journeys are different than Mary's and Joseph's. Because Mary and Joseph's journey ended with the Christ child being born. We get to go through our journeys to Bethlehem with Christ the Lord already by our side. We don't have to make the journey alone wondering what is to come. We are called to a place where Christ can be born in us so that we can help others create a place where Christ can be born in them. It doesn't end with us saying, yes, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. We're supposed to help others find that same place because we are the innkeepers and that's why I have to smile when we find that the innkeeper is really a bad guy. Because we are the innkeepers. Our hearts are Bethlehem. We decide to say, yes, there's room in the inn for you, or no, I've got more important stuff in there, or I will relegate you to an hour on Sunday morning, Lord, but, but really there's not that much room in the inn. I'll give you the stable as well. Last week, Pastor Bob talked about how Mary was the first manger, well, as innkeepers of our own hearts, we get to decide if there's room at the inn, if there's room in the guest room, if there's room in our hearts. And as he was speaking last week, a song came to my mind. It was a song that was recorded in 2011. It's been sung here a couple times. Once I recall being sung by uh, Emma Barrow. Once I know Lindsay sang it, Lindsay Belcher sang it. It's a song, Be Born in Me, by Francesca. Battistelli. 
it reminds us of the place that we should hold in our hearts. It's a song, when, when if you listen to its song or you watch the video that accompanied um, its release, it's a song sung by Mary, a song sung to the, the baby who was in her womb. And it's, it starts, uh, be born in me, be born in me. And then she sings, I'll hold you in the beginning, you will hold me in the end. Every moment in the middle, make my heart your Bethlehem. Be born in me. I am not brave. I'll never be. The only thing my heart can offer is a vacancy. I'm just a girl, nothing more. But I am willing, and I am yours. Today, the song is not just for girls, and not just for young girls of childbearing age. It's a song that we all can sing. If you have no vacancy in your heart for Jesus, this is a good season to think about creating one. If you have created a place in your heart for Jesus, but like me, years ago, I evicted him for wrong reasons. I assure you that if you have evicted Jesus from your heart, he'll come back if you invite him. And he will walk with you through the most difficult of times. This is the third Sunday of Advent. The Christ child is coming. You are the innkeepers. We are the innkeepers. We are the innkeepers of our hearts, and we are the innkeepers of the doors to this church. And if we don't see Christ's presence here with us, if we don't see him in the flesh with us, as we feel his presence with us, we need to remember the kind of people that he told us he wanted us to care for in Matthew 25. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a prisoner, you visited me. When I was sick, you comforted me. Those were the people who mattered to Jesus. And my prayer for us this season is that this church, the sanctuary of St. Paul, will be the inn where the doors are thrown wide open to the people that Jesus loved. And that each of you, when you hear the knock on the door, will open the door wide and say, yes, Lord, there's a place in my heart. Be born in me.